when my daughter was five, we got a letter from her birth mother at Christmas time saying, I started thinking about grad school, but then, you know, 9-11 happened and we invaded Iraq. And she said in her Christmas letter, I'm planning on joining the army. I'm going to be going off to officer training school. And in case I don't come back, I want to come and spend a weekend with you and meet my daughter. Did you finally realize your dream of having a family only to have your happily ever after turn into a nightmare? Are you constantly second guessing your parenting, anxious about whether your child will make good choices and remain faithful? Have you neglected yourself to the point that it's taken a personal toll on you? Hi neighbor, welcome to Anchors of Encouragement. I'm Tim Maudlin, husband, adoptive parent, disciple of Christ, and ambassador of encouragement. I too felt the joy of having a family of my own, and I wish we could be like other families. But I found myself up late at night, anxious about my child's future and asking myself, why is this happening? Am I a failure as a parent? It was only by grabbing a lifeline from God and my friends that I was able to navigate the challenges of adoptive life. And now I can't wait to share everything I've learned with you. My mission is to be your friend and encourager, to throw adoptive parents a lifeline and offer biblical encouragement as you partner with Christ, providing stability as your anchor when you need it the most. If you're ready for real and raw talk with strategies and insights that lead to peace beyond comprehension, so you not only survive but thrive in life storms, this podcast is for you. Hope and healing are on the way. Hi, neighbor. Joining me today is Terry Marcroft. She is an adoptive mom and a passionate advocate of open adoption. Terry's favorite person is her adult daughter, and her favorite action hero is her daughter's birth mother, who made an adoption plan while still in high school. Terry has written two books on adoption. The latest one is called Pro Family, Pro Adoption, A Christian's Guide to Unplanned Pregnancy Options. Terry, I know you live in San Jose. I'm in Indiana. It's so good to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Oh, Tim, thanks so much for having me. This is going to be a, a really good discussion because your adoption is different than the two adoptions that I was blessed to have. And I thought we would just start the conversation by you sharing uh, your adoption story with my audience, because there's some interesting wrinkles in this story. So my husband and I married in our mid-30s. And so we struggled with infertility for several years before we decided to adopt. And then, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. So it took us quite a while to get to the point where um, we were actually chosen by a woman who was facing an unplanned pregnancy. And when she chose us, when she got pregnant, she was a senior in high school. So she was still pretty young, which makes it miraculous almost that she chose adoption because that was not the easiest path, of course. Anyway, so she chose us to parent her baby and we got to meet her when she was about halfway through her pregnancy. From that point on, when we met her in May of 1999, uh, we were able to share the second half of her pregnancy with her. So she was extremely generous in letting us, you know, stay in touch with her and uh, get to know her. She lived about a two hour drive away from where my husband and I had our home. And so we got to go up there 
almost every week I was driving up there to see her um, sometimes with him, sometimes without him to take her to lunch, take her to doctor's appointments, really be able to walk with her through that second half of her pregnancy. And, you know, not having been able to get pregnant myself, it, I appreciated that greatly. And it was the beginning of our, of a very open relationship between us, even though I don't think that we looked at it that way then. That's interesting because uh, so far your story is mirroring uh, my wife and mine's story because mm -hmm. we were just, I was just shy of 30. She was 30 when we got married. And then uh, we went through infertility as well. You know, that took several years to really run that course. But once we got through that and the trauma that that put on us, and especially her, uh -huh. uh, we, we chose the adoption route and found a birth mother and we were able to meet her and she chose us like you were chosen. And mm -hmm. then my wife was able to take her to uh, multiple appointments. So mm -hmm. that all mirrors your story as well. Now, there's something interesting about how our stories differ, because in Indiana, our adoption was what you would call a closed adoption. Now, we still met her, but for those who might not understand what I'm talking about, after placement of the child, there was no more contact except through our attorney. But now yours is different. Can you explain the difference in your adoption? Yes. Yeah, so uh, it it actually, ours didn't start out open because I think every adoption evolves over time. And so when you first get matched with your birth mother, I don't think that anybody knows what kind of a relationship they want to have going forward because your emotions are flying. The the circumstances are really odd and and unusual. You just you just can't say what you want your uh, future to look like with this woman who's going to be bearing the child that you're going to raise. So it's just impossible to navigate and predict mm -hmm. how everything's going to go. Like I say, we we went through that second half of her pregnancy with her. And I considered that a huge blessing because I was still dealing with, like your wife, I was still dealing with um, trying to wrap my head around not being able to get pregnant. I mean, as a woman, I think that's a challenging thing to accept. Mm -hmm. And so um, when we got, we got closer and closer to her, to our birth mother. And um, by the way, Tim, I have five sisters and uh, one brother and all of my siblings, all six of them had at least two kids when we were going through this. And so there were a whole lot of babies in our family, a whole lot of toddlers to be working on becoming parents. You know, I could see what my parent, what my siblings were enjoying and how parenthood mm -hmm. looked for them. And, and I have to admit that I was a little bit envious of all my siblings but all of my sisters, all five of them had been through at least two pregnancies. And so there were a lot of maternity clothes between them. <laughs> and so we ended up giving our birth mother some of my sister's maternity clothes, which to me, like, especially looking back on it, was a big symbol of merging our families, a beautiful thing to be able to give her some of that. Not that she, not that she couldn't afford them on her own or she wouldn't have found some other solution, but just that she was willing to accept them from us was really a, a beautiful thing. Anyway, so we went through those, those five months or so between May or four months between May and August. And then when she went into labor, we were able to zip up there. It was a two hour drive, as I said, zip up there. And we got there in time to see our girl born. 
And that was also an amazing thing. Were you there at the birth of your boys? Well, here again, the similarities are yeah. really striking <laughs> because it was about a two-hour drive for us. Uh -huh. We got a call that she was in labor, heading to the hospital. We got there and walked into her room, and she was about ready to deliver. And that's when you know we turned around and, and went out and gave her some you know privacy with the doctors. I don't. You were actually in the delivery room. We were actually in the delivery oh, wow. room. My husband cut the cord. Oh wow! We no, yeah. we weren't. We were there just prior to him being born, uh -huh. and then we went in just a few minutes after. So, uh -huh. but yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I mean, to to be yes. there that close to his his birth. Yes, yes, and it, I consider that another gift. Yeah, mm -hmm. so just to be included in that and to be allowed into the um to the delivery itself. So that was an amazing moment to be able to um, be right next to her side when she gave birth. And so the, the day after when we were all preparing to leave the hospital, you know, we all were gathered in the lobby. And of course, everybody's crying. There are tears streaming all over the place. And our birth mother just, you know, we were having a conversation. She said, Terry, I want you to make sure this was before we all had cell phones, right? Because this is August of 99. Uh, she said, Terry, I want you to make sure that you send me photos at least every other month. Like, don't let two months go by without popping some photos in the mail to me. And and I promised, you know, I swore to her that I would do that. So she, so we just said, OK, then, you know, we'll take it from here. We'll know how to contact each other and we'll we'll just see, you know, see what life brings, basically. And my husband and I drove home when my daughter was just 24 hours old we drove back to San Jose. And then for the next five years, we were just focused on, you know, raising our girl. And, and we just thought it, it was all perfectly normal. And like, as if there's such a thing as a normal adoption, because I don't know that there is. But uh, the next five years went by and our birth mother <clears throat> started college the next month after in September, she went to a junior college for a year, and then she transferred to a University of California, UC. And so for the next four years after my daughter was born, she was extremely busy heads down in her studies. When my daughter was five, we got a letter from her birth mother at Christmas time saying, I started thinking about grad school, but then, you know, 9-11 happened and we invaded Iraq. And she said in her Christmas letter, I'm planning on joining the army. I'm going to be going off to officer training school. And in case I don't come back, I want to come and spend a weekend with you and meet my daughter. Oh, and wow. So, I know. And so my husband and I, of course, said, absolutely. You know, you're welcome here anytime. And so that when my girl was in kindergarten, that was the first time that we had the birth mother over and she spent a weekend with us before going off to officer training school. And she just wanted to see that everything was okay. Like it was important to her to satisfy her curiosity, to be able to picture, you know, what kind of a home were we living in and how was, how was everything going? She just wanted to check in and also mm -hmm. to be able to have met my daughter when she was in kindergarten. So my daughter's name is Sydney. So the birth mother wanted to meet Sydney before she left. So of course, that was wonderful to be able. And then from that point on, we started exchanging letters. So I would say it wasn't an open adoption. I mean, you know, in, in a daily practice until after that kindergarten visit. 
And then she started sending us letters pretty frequently. And we were, of course, always continuing the every two months photos. See, again, with ours, we had made arrangements since it was going to be closed. We made arrangements to send photographs and updates for an ex a certain amount of time. Uh -huh. And that was agreed upon by both us and our, our birth mother. And uh -huh. so that's what we did. We honored that that agreement. Sending uh, photos. Yes, sending photos and updates. Uh -huh. uh, because there was that curiosity. And, and you, I mean, it's understandable. Um, they would want to know how the child is doing. So, uh, right. Now, but yours was open, but it wasn't, I guess, officially open. I guess it was just that that option to choose that if you so desired? Well, so here's the thing about open and closed adoption is that I consider it a continuum. So it's not like it's either open or it's closed because yours, even you describe it as closed, but you did have some information about the birth mother mm -hmm. and you had some communication as you're sending photos. And so, you know, if you see it as a continuum you know, you might even consider yours to be partially open. Yes. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. And if it's a continuum and basically it, it really, I mean, closed, really closed, completely closed. If you think back to the days, Tim, when you and I were in high school mm -hmm. and the birth mother was sent away to a distant relative and until her delivery day came and then she placed her baby with an adoption agency never knew who the parents were or where the parents were and didn't have any say in who the parents were. That's really closed. Cause then after the placement, she would go back to her hometown and never talk about it again. She was encouraged to not even think about it again. And really that door slammed shut hard. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there was no information exchanged. Whereas, right. you know, in your case, at least there were some photos back and forth and you knew who the birth mother was and you probably could contact her if there was a medical emergency, I'm guessing. The legalities of this, at least in Indiana, and that's all I can speak to. And I don't know if those laws have changed, but the legalities were we were not to contact her directly or she to contact us directly. It all had to be done through an intermediary, which mm -hmm. was our attorney. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we had access to birth records prior to the the birth and then um, we could use those medical records if need be but if there was an emergency you know, we had to go through the attorney so okay that's but you still had an avenue yeah that's we had, good. yeah we had an avenue and that, he was our he was our advocate and her yeah. advocate as well uh, to make sure everything was done you know correctly we we just wanted to make sure when we went into it that we crossed all our T's and dotted all of our I's. So everything was done above board and legal. Sure. So, and that's, oh yeah, that's what we did. So, yeah, sure. You want to be respectful of mm -hmm. what she's asking for, especially if she was asking for the, for the closed adoption. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, of course. And so, but I think that these things evolve. And so like ours did with the first five years, having only that one way communication, sending her photos mm -hmm. and then to, in kit when Sydney was in kindergarten, we had an actual weekend long visit. That was a huge change uh, at her request. And so, of course, we were willing to go with that because whatever she wanted from me, the answer was yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like she had given us the biggest gift possible. Oh, sure. 
Yeah. That I would have done anything for her. I would walk through fire for her. So if she wanted to come and visit, that was absolutely fine. And then from there on, we did more letters and, and uh, contact and uh, I'd send her letters, but she sent us letters. She sent me letters very frequently and she honored my birthday every year. She honored Sydney's birthday every year. She'd send gifts at Christmas to Sydney and uh, they had a relationship, I'd say, from that kindergarten date, although Sydney didn't really understand it until she was more like 10 or 11. Because um, by the time my daughter was, I'd say 10 or 11, I'm trying to remember exactly, but um, her birth mother stayed in the military. And again, like say five years later, I got a Christmas letter saying, you know what, Terry, I've stayed in the military and I've gotten promoted and there's going to be this promotion ceremony. So it was kind of a big deal promotion. And she said, there's the promotion ceremony is happening in a couple of months. I would like for you and Sydney at least to be there. And so uh, if we could come and attend her promotion ceremony, that's what she was asking for. So again, of course, the answer mm -hmm. is yes. And so when Sydney was 11, we, we, we were preparing to go to this ceremony which was in Honolulu, Sydney was saying, you know, when we were preparing for this trip, like all of a sudden this, the dots lined up and she said, oh my gosh, now I understand why you love her so much. Like she's actually the one who gave birth to me, right? And she, she was figuring out and all these stars were lining up for her, all the dots were connecting mm -hmm. as we were packing for this trip. And so uh, going to the trip and then being able to meet her again in person and see that she had, uh, you know, made a career in the military, and she was she was so proud of her accomplishments in the military that she wanted to share those with us. And when she gave her speech at the promotion ceremony, she actually said she wanted to thank her own mom, and she wanted to thank me for, you know, making her career possible. So, you know, there was a lot of gratitude flowing around very freely <laughs> as a result of this uh, this openness, you know, knowing who she was. Sydney knowing who she was, her knowing who we were, and just all of it was just, you know, goodness and blessing. That's a so. beautiful story. Because you had more contact with her and, you know, from letters to visits and so forth, mm -hmm. you're able to speak more to the birth mother's perspective. So yes. what can you tell us? What can you share? Because, you know, I know I've talked about my older son when I took him from his birth mother's arms, I asked her, what do you want me to tell him? Mm -hmm. That's a conversation he and I have had. But now you understand from more interaction than I had what the birth mother's perspective was. And I'm starting to see, you know, her life would have been a whole lot different had she parented. Right. So can you, can you share a little bit about that to us? Yeah. Well, she was only 16. Mm-hmm. When she became pregnant. So yes, her life would have been very, very different if she had parented, you know, and, and the US military would be missing a high ranking official as well. Right. <laughs> uh, but um, when she made that decision, though, um, I, I think if you, if you think about the fact that, you know, people grow into adulthood, and they're more able to see the long term consequences of their decisions. Whereas when they're teenagers, they're basically thinking short term. You know, like it's a it's a sign of maturity to be able to look at things with a long term lens. Mm -hmm. And so when she was contemplating what to do with her unplanned pregnancy, she had the maturity to take a long term viewpoint. 
And when she did that, it made both abortion and single parenting look very much less attractive than adoption. And so she made her own decision that she was going to choose adoption. And she did that with the support of her mother. And so both of them together were thinking that this was the best decision in the long term, both for our birth mother and for her child. And so for them to have the maturity to look at it that way, the birth mother was thinking, you know, I can't provide everything that this baby needs over the next 20 years of growing up. But if she's to be, you know, ra raised with people who parents who have the resources and they're ready, willing and able to parent, then that would be her gift to her daughter would be to find those parents that she wanted to raise her girl and you know, make that, make that placement. Mm -hmm. So even though it was an extremely difficult decision and it's an extremely difficult journey to go through, you know, cause it means completing the pregnancy, all of the physical aspects of that, and then giving your baby to another couple to raise, that's all extremely difficult, but she did it out of love for her girl. I remember when we were going through our home study, we had a social worker that was assigned to us and she she told the story of a birth mother that when the day came for her to hand the, her baby over to the adoptive couple she had never seen anybody cry puddles uh-huh and you just realize and i saw our birth mother cry to just broke down and you just you understand that this is an act of love and uh -huh. I like how you worded it in your bio that your birth mother is your favorite action hero because yeah. they are the heroes in this story. They are the heroes. They do something extremely difficult, extremely challenging. Mm -hmm. And uh, and to just have such a huge heart that they're doing that out of love. I mean, it kind of reminds you of you know Christ's love for us, mm -hmm. that it's so difficult and it's so painful what they go through, but in the big picture that they have, they know that it's the best thing for the baby. And they know that it's going to be the best thing over the next 20 years to be able to be with parents who are um, so loving and willing and ready and able, you know, to parent well. Yeah, just, just the fact that her heart was so huge that she could do that. I'm forever grateful for that. And that's why, you know, whatever contact she wanted to have as it changed over the years, we just went with the flow. We just went with whatever she wanted and needed. And it turned out that um, having that openness um, was a good thing for Sydney, too, because she could see that she actually got together with the birth mother when they were when she was 16 years old again. And to see her birth mother when Sydney was 16 and realized that her birth mother was 16 when she got pregnant and to just grasp that contrast, you know, when Sydney was thinking, holy moly, you know, I couldn't do, I couldn't become a mom right now where she just wanted to go to the mall with her friends. That was her top priority on a Saturday, sure. you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or play soccer on Friday afternoon. You know, that was her whole life. And uh, the idea of being a mom was just impossible for her to even think about. And so then that helped her further to understand what her birth mother might have been feeling. You know, something that has occurred to me as you've told your story, I don't want to put words in your mouth, I, but I'm, I'm sensing this 
from what you've said. When we think of our birth mothers, because we have two different birth mothers, we have never we have never felt threatened if the boys choose to uh, look them up one day. We've always told them we would support them. We never felt threatened by that. And I, I don't hear any kind of uh, trepidation in your voice of having your, Sydney know her birth mother. And that's just a natural thing as far as we're concerned. And is that natural for you too? Yes. Yeah. Not only is there no trepidation, I mean, I would encourage them to get together because it answers questions for everybody. You mm -hmm. know, the birth mother wants to know that Sydney's okay. And she's actually more than okay. She's doing really well. And Sydney wants to know that her birth mother does still love her in her heart. There's still love there between them. And that's a very healthy thing because we all need more people in this world to love us, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. can't have too many people who love you. No. And so I worked real hard actually to um, ensure a relationship among be between my husband, my daughter and our birth mother, you know, to ensure a relationship there for the first, you know, I'd say 18 years of Sydney's life. And then when she eventually left home to go to college at 18, that was the that was the change point where I just said, okay, you know, like I'm gonna I'm gonna stop meddling in the middle of this relationship. I'm gonna let you two do whatever you want to do from now on. I'm not gonna, you know, I forged a way for it to be uh, a good a good open healthy relationship, and now you two take it from here. That's wise too, because you know you you know you want to protect your child, but you were able to kind of facilitate that and forge it as you said. I want to pivot a little bit here because when you got married, you never anticipated adoption like my wife and I didn't anticipate adoption. And no. you've been through that experience and it was such a wonderful thing. And you had the open adoption that has led to something. I don't know if you ever intended, but it led to something else that you've created. Can you talk about that a little bit for us? You know, you said earlier that there there's some people who are kind of um, skeptical about open adoption and, and how, how is that going to uh, impact their family? Is the birth mm -hmm. mother going to come back? You know, there's all these misconceptions about adoption. And so I wanted people to know that open adoption is nothing to be afraid of. I started my nonprofit to spread the word about adoption in general, and then open adoption specifically. That was after about 10 years of parenting Sydney, because I saw some of my friends face infertility and not be able to adopt. So I was curious about why anybody would have uh, obstacles or difficulty adopting an infant, a newborn baby. And when I researched that and really dug into it, I found out that out of the almost 3 million unplanned pregnancies in this country every year, about half the women abort and about half the women choose to parent unexpectedly or singly and only about 1% of those women choose adoption and place their baby like our birth mother did. And so I thought that's an extremely low number, 1% choosing adoption. That has to be just a function of educational, a lack of education. Like we haven't talked about this in our society and we, it's not presented as an option if for women are choosing between abortion and single parenting. So it became my mission in life to spread the word about adoption and get it on the radar so that it, people aren't just looking at a binary choice. There is there is a third option, which is well worth considering. 
especially if you look at the long-term view, because there's so much, you know, so much downside with the other two, really, that um, I wanted to put forth the beauty of, of adoption and how well it can work out if we go into it with an open kind of honest transparency. It can work out pretty well. Sure. That, I mean, that's a great mission, too. Those numbers are staggering when you think mm -hmm. about it. You know, maybe some of the the 50 percent that decide to parent, maybe they have the support system in place that can help them do that. But still, it's going to be a harder road to navigate. And so uh, there are so many like uh, you and your husband, my wife and myself, who are would love to to give a home to a child. And we just, for whatever reason, had not been able to do that. And mm -hmm. adoption is such a, an amazing and viable option for for those of us who would love to parent and, and want to shower a child with love. So how does your organization, it's called Unplanned Good, how does it go about doing this then? So Unplanned Good, so I started it in in 2010. And since then, we we do we have a website, which is unplannedgood.org. We have a newsletter that goes out just once a month, which kind of updates everybody on what we're doing. And then um, I speak in podcasts like yours that you graciously invite me to. And um, I speak at national conferences to talk about adoption and open adoption and how things have changed so much from the days that we were in high school to the days now after about the year 2000 when things changed so much from closed adoptions to open adoptions. Although it was a gradual change, of course, but when we were in high school, probably 95% of the adoptions were closed and mm -hmm. like the door shut hard on the closed adoptions. And now about 95% of them are open to some extent or another. And like I say, it's kind of a continuum so that there's a lot of different ways to do this. And everybody, I think, figures out the best way for their own family and for their own circumstances. Uh, but spreading the word about open adoption is kind of the main point of the organization. And it's through the speaking engagements. I just had a big, um, a big keynote talk at Idaho Chooses Life last week, last week. And so um, that's what we're doing to get the word out. Okay, great. As now, well as the books, of course. The, yes, yeah. yes. And you have two yeah. books. And, and again, I will put the links to those books in the show notes so you can get those. Uh, this this latest one that just came out is this before this episode uh, aired. Mm -hmm. It has personal stories from or testimonials from from birth mothers, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it starts out like there's a story in the foreword about um, Allie who finds out that she's pregnant and eventually chooses adoption. So it goes through her thinking about how she evaluated her her choices and how she ended up deciding to place her baby for adoption. And at the very end of the book is an afterword where Allie, 10 years later, is looking back on the past decade of her daughter's life with uh, Sean and Cheryl. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to have that hindsight 10 years later is kind of, ho hopefully, <laughs> it was intended to be an interesting set of bookends sure. to have those two parts of Allie's story. And that's a wonderful way to approach it, too. I, the more information we can get out there, I, it's my hope, and I know it's your hope, that more more women who find themselves in a crisis pregnancy will 
we'll choose life. We'll choose, yes. you know, adoption. So that's right. wonderful. And I applaud your mission for this. Oh, um, thank you. As, yeah. as we begin to wrap up today, I always ask my guests to help us with some kind of an action step. I call these daily doables. And mm -hmm. in light of our discussion today, what would you think would be a good daily doable for um, someone who is, I'll, I'll preface it this way. This podcast is designed mainly for adoptive parents, but I don't know who's listening to it. I know adoptees listen to it. There could be a, a young woman who is in a crisis pregnancy. Uh, what would you say to her today? It, you know, um, I have one message that I would say to everybody who, actually to anybody who is, um, whether they're facing an unplanned pregnancy or not, there, there are basically three choices to get educated about, right? So you can choose abortion, you can choose single parenting, or you can choose adoption. But the reason I wrote this book was um, to share with people the beauty of adoption and how beautiful open adoption can be. Um, but also the book goes through the downsides of abortion and single parenting. And those are not um, data points that you'll get from Planned Parenthood or from anybody who's a proponent of abortion, because there's a lot of like very specific physical um, ramifications of choosing abortion. So be, being able to understand what it does to a woman's body between, you know, the links to breast cancer, the links to mental health issues, all of that is is included in this book. So the reason I have two two books is because one was written for people who call themselves pro-choice. And so it's meant to explain um, what the ramifications are of choosing either abortion or single parenting if you consider yourself pro-choice. It's like, then let's really get an understanding of all the choices. Mm -hmm. And the, the recent book that you mentioned is a similar message, but from a Christian standpoint. And so all of us, if we, if you remember that one in four teens will face an unplanned pregnancy before they hit 20 years old, one in four teens getting pregnant, that means all of us need to be equipped to advise and counsel that young woman. So it's not just those of us who want to adopt, but it could be your neighbor, or it could be your niece who faces the unplanned pregnancy. So it would be beneficial for all of us to get more information about those three choices in the long term so that we can advise the young women in our lives and in our communities, not to mention in our families. Sure. that That's wonderful too, because as you said, we can all help to educate I want people to understand what a great alternative it can be without minimizing how hard it is. Mm -hmm. Because um, I have so much respect for the birth mother who chooses adoption. I know that she's, you know, processed a lot in her mind and in her heart. And that after placement, there's a lot of healing to be done too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's no easy solution to unplanned pregnancy. That is for sure. There's no easy solution um, but if you take that long-term view, we could view adoption as the healthier solution. Perfect. Perfect. Well, as we wrap up here, uh, can you just share your contact information, which I will include in the show notes, but just so people can hear it one more time. 
Sure. So it, the website is unplannedgood.org. And there you can sign up for our newsletter. I have a newsletter that goes out on the 10th of every month. Um, it's not good. And we never sell it, of course. And so um, that would be great if people wanted to sign up for the newsletter. And then the books, both of them are on um, Amazon. Okay. And again, those will be in the show notes. So uh, Terry, thank you so much for being on here and sharing your story. And it's it's just wonderful to hear you know, how Sydney's doing. And um, I don't know if you can share your birth mother's name or not, but uh, she should be applauded. So um, she should be applauded. Yeah. No, I don't have uh, permission to share her name. Okay, so I respect that. That's and, fine. Uh, yeah. I call her D in the books, but um, yeah, but Sid yeah, Sydney's doing fine. She knows her whole story and she got all of her questions answered. And that was kind of the, the main idea with the openness and talking about all of this. Oh, that's wonderful, too. So, again, um, folks, uh, check out uh, Terry's book and her organization. And it's just, you know, our our desire that uh, more women would choose choose life and choose adoption. So thank you again, Terry. Thank you, Tim. Terry's story is so encouraging. Here are some of the takeaways. Number one, it's a sign of maturity to be able to look at things such as an unplanned pregnancy through a long-term lens. Number two, open adoption is nothing to be afraid of. Number three, all of us need to be equipped to advise and counsel young women in our lives and communities facing an unplanned pregnancy. And finally, number four, there's no easy solution to an unplanned pregnancy. But if you can take a long-term view Adoption is a healthier solution. Please check the show notes for how to connect with Terry and her organization and to purchase her books. That's all for this episode. I want to thank you so much for joining me. Until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now. If this podcast has given you the courage and confidence to face storms in your life, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it in your Instagram stories and tag me at Tim Maudlin. You can also connect with me in my Facebook group, Anchors of Encouragement. So until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now.